In the beginning was the word. Oh, I see. You think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? You think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Well, we're here at uh, New Hope Christian Bible College uh, in the middle of Eugene, Oregon. We've had an incredible trip over here and we're sitting here with Pastor Wayne Cadero, or Dr. Wayne Cadero, I should say. Now, uh, Wayne has uh, been overseeing New Hope Oahu and the New Hope National Churches for a number of years and is transitioning to spend some time over here in Eugene, Oregon, and he's got a farm uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Wayne Cadera before, he's the author of a number of books. Uh, he owns a Harley Davidson, and uh, he used to be in a band called Manor Bread & Co., uh, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> I've, seen, I've just seen the album cover, and yeah, he was cool. Uh, he's still cool, and uh, it's a real blessing to have uh, Pastor Wayne Cadera here on History Makers. Uh, firstly, mate, uh, tell me, uh, how are things going here at the Bible College? Well, Matt, first of all, it's great to be with you, and uh, it's an honor to be able to address people about what God's doing, because He is doing great things. Here at the Bible College, our, our hope and our, our focus is on the future generation. Uh, like David, when David uh, got older in his life, he focused on the next generation. You know, he brought in all of the building equipment, all of the materials for the temple. He didn't build a temple, but he made it ready so that the next generation of leaders, Solomon, could actually continue to follow God. And uh, for many of us, uh, for me included, my greatest ministry is going to be in the next generation. And so I, too, in that David way, want to invest in young men and women who have a call, like I did, and we want to make sure that they're prepared. One of the things that I'm realizing is that, uh, you know, the future of our churches, Matt, they, they don't suffer from a lack of leaders. They're actually suffering from an overabundance of underdeveloped leaders, Young men and women that have a zeal may even have a call, but they are unprepared. And so they do the best they can, but many mistakes and fears are wedged into their decisions, and then they've got to live by the consequences of that. So what we want to do is do the best we can through the scars and sufferings that we've received to impart to them some wisdom so that they can avoid many of the pitfalls. Now, I've just discovered recently that this was actually your Bible college. You were trained here. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, go back to the beginning and find out a little bit about your story. Uh, tell us about uh, where your upbringing was and what was your upbringing like uh, before you uh, ended up at Bible college. Well, it wasn't the ideal um, uh, upbringing. My father and mother divorced. It was a messy divorce at a very early age when I was about six years old. And I remember the fights and all of the fuming and uh, then... My father would leave and uh, come back and leave, and finally he left with another lady. And uh, so my mother, being a single mom now, had to raise four of our chil- us children and on a waitress's a, uh, salary. And uh, my father went into the uh, went overseas in the military, and uh, he was able to take more dependents with him. And my mother had remarried, so it was tough on her. Now she had two more children, so there are six of us, and uh, so. Some of us went with my dad. We went over to Japan where we lived for three years, and my father was very, very strict. I tell people he disciplined us in the true military fashion. He laid down the stripes until we saw the stars. <laughs> and 
And so he was extremely strict, very, very strict, and so much so that four of us started with my dad. Two of them, my older brother and sister, actually left and went back with my mother in Hawaii. And uh, then my dad moved to Oregon. That's where he retired, and that's how I got here. Well, I uh, was uh, I did not follow Christ. I was although I was in a Catholic parochial school, I had I did not have a didn't have a, a clear relationship with Christ. I was on drugs. I was in a rock and roll band at that time, and uh, living with a girl, and I, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. Well, I went to a college, a community college, to study music and business. And uh, there, a Christian music group came and did a concert. And then I thought, wow, if you can play music and love God, I I might be open to that. And so that's what started my journey, my quest to find out. So it wasn't long after that, about, oh, three months later, I received Christ. It was about May of that year. And uh, July, uh, I came down to Eugene, Oregon, because I felt God had called me not to just be in the family of God, but to be a minister in the family of God. So I came down to this college that I'm now the president of and started off as a young 19-year-old, fresh, wet-behind-the-ears, young Christian, and that began my journey. Okay, and I've seen some photos, and uh, you know, in Australia we have this thing called a mullet, you know, which is the long hair. You know what Billy Ray Cyrus, you know, you, you had nice long hair, and I see that album cover in your office here, Manor Bread and Co. Tell, tell us about the band you're in. Well, we started a, a, a group, and uh, we started uh, traveling around. And my hair looks long in that, but you should have seen it before I cut it. That's after it was cut, because when I was in the rock and roll group, it was during the hippie era, and so we had long hair. And uh, But to come here, we had to cut our hair, and so that's what it looks like. We actually then began to travel for the school, went from church to church. During the summers, we traveled full-time and uh, sang, did some recordings, and uh, it was a wonderful four years uh, while I was here, so it was adventurous indeed. Okay, now, I I know you went over to um, Hilo in Hawaii and uh, pastored a church there for a season, and then eventually uh, was called over to uh, Oahu, the main island there, and... and, uh, you had incredible growth in, in the church there. And I love hearing you tell the story about learning about the past revivals of Hawaii uh, with Titus Cohen. Yes. Do you want to tell us about how that inspired you in, in this move of God? Yeah, Titus Cohen came in about 1820s, uh, and uh, uh, when he got off the boat, he fell in love with the Hawaiian people so much that in three months now, in three months, he preached his first sermon in Hawaiian. He had memorized his sermon. He had it translated by a Hawaiian person, memorized it and preached. And uh, people from all over the island started moving to Hilo. So a sleepy town of 10,000 swelled to 25,000 because over the next few years, people were hearing the good news preached in their language. God used them in such a way that that church swelled to 10,000 people in 1837. And it impressed me so much. I remember actually standing over the grave of Titus Cohen in Hilo, Hawaii, after I'd studied his life, and I was so imprinted by him as he mentored me through a book called Life in Hawaii. It's an autobiography uh, that he finished in 1882, and uh, just prior to his death. And 
he imprinted and impacted me so much, I stood over his grave and I asked God for a double portion of this man's anointing, that God would help me to bring again a revival to Hawaii. And I did that when uh, I was 31 years old. And since that time, uh, the census has been taken in Hawaii and and in the nation of America. And uh, from 2000 to 2007, the statistics came back and it said that in every state, the population outgrew the conversion rate in every state in the union except one. And that was the state of Hawaii, where commensurately the conversion rate, percentage-wise, outstripped population growth. And uh, in those years, we calculated, and through New Hope, 83,000 have come to know Christ uh, since we began in 1995 to the year 2010. And so we see God has done a great thing indeed. It's uh, uh, an anointing that we ask for, and uh, if we will ask God for an anointing to do His will, He just may give it to you. Now, it's amazing uh, to see uh, the fruit of the ministry. Uh, so you've got several churches in Hawaii. Uh, you've got a number on the west coast of, of uh, the U.S., a number in Japan, the Philippines, New Hope Brisbane in Australia. Uh, tell us about uh, the importance of church planting. Well, church planting is one of the best ways to reach lost people. Often when churches get to be about 10 to 20 years old, the conversion rate decreases. And it's not for anyone's to anyone's fault. It's just simply because as the church grows, there's more uh, uh, problems or challenges in taking care of or nurturing the saints. And so a lot of the pastoral energy goes in to taking care of the saints and their problems and their situations. And a lot of the energy that could have gone to the harvest has now has to go to nurturing those already saved, already convinced. And so when you start a new church... You have a streamlined group of people whose hearts are all for the harvest. And so there's a large increase, an influx of souls, and then that sort of dies down. So what I say to pastors and all New Hope pastors, I say every five years you should pioneer a church out. Pioneer a church out so that it keeps you hungry as a mother church because all of a sudden 50 people or 100 people went out. We did one where we sent over a 1,000, hived a 1,000 out of the mother church. Well, then you've got bare seats. And then all of a sudden the pastor realizes we got to get people saved. Well, if all of the seats are full, you get a little bit lazy. So we actually have hived off our mother church 19 times since 1995. So we're in our 15th year anniversary, but we have hived off 19 churches. That's kept us fresh and vibrant, and we watched every church that we planted on the island of Oahu. And that's just on the island of Oahu, 19 churches. And so we've seen them grow, and it's kept the mother church hungry. Pioneering churches helps us to keep our focus on the lost. And one thing that um, you know research has shown has been you know, the most effective tool in spiritual growth is doing daily devotions and journaling. Uh, you have a passion for that. Tell us a little bit about what journaling is. For those who don't know what journaling is, tell us what it's all about. Journaling is simply uh, you reading through a specific or specified reading program that takes you through the Old Testament and the New Testament systematically. 
if you it's sort of like a GPS. If you don't have a plan or a map, you're going to run helter skelter looking for something that might pacify you or quickly inspire you, but it's not something of deep substance. It's not a catechismic kind of a growth pattern because you need to just have sort of like catechism it's an old catholic word but it just basically is a systematic instruction for the long haul and we don't do that we just do helter skelter inspirational kind of snippets well as you read through this the holy spirit's going to speak to you about one one verse is going to stick out one verse is going to be pregnant with wisdom that you're going to need. It's just going to explode in your soul, and you'll say, man, do I need that. Well, that's when the journal comes in, and we do this thing called SOAP. S stands for scripture. You write that scripture down that's highlighted, and I called it with a Holy Ghost highlighter, and he highlighted it. And then O stands for observation. You make an observation. What was Christ saying? Uh, What was the prophet saying? To whom was he saying it? What was going on? Then you distill out of that an A, application. That's S-O-A, application. Now you write, how does this apply to me? My wife, my family, my thoughts, my attitude. God is going to apply it to a part of your life that needs his touch. And you record it. You agree with him. You cooperate. That's what the A is for application. And then P, you record a prayer. So you bear your heart. Lord Jesus, this is my heart. It's not an easy part that I have to do here, but I do know you're asking me to give forgiveness to my in-laws or my brother or whomever it might be, and you make a commitment in prayer to the Lord to obey. When you're done with that, you now have an assignment for today. You do that every day, by the end of the year, you will be 300 times more the person God wants you to be. Absolutely. You know, and I can say, you know, I've been a New Hope pastor now for almost four years and been journaling all those four years, and it's by far been the best thing I've ever done as a Christian. I, I just think uh, it, it's a wonderful opportunity to grow, and, you know, most of my preaching comes out of my journaling, you know, and it's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful tool. Uh, now, uh, a couple of other things I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, you're so passionate about evangelism, and a lot of churches these days just don't reach the lost. Uh, what do you think uh, are some of the keys that churches need to pick up so they can reach the lost? How can we be more effective in evangelism? Well, the first is you just have to see that that's our assignment. and We've got to let our light so shine before men. Why? Well, Matthew says in chapter 15 that they see, or five, they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's not just so they see our good works. It has to result in them seeing God in all his glory. Well, that's what we got to do. And I believe that when I step up to the throne in heaven, one of the very first questions God's going to ask me is, how many did you bring with you? You know, if I say, oh, you should have seen how nice our church was painted. (laughs) God's going to say, that's real nice. I did see it. Uh, How many did you bring with you? Oh, Lord, you should have heard our choir. Man, did they rock. Yeah, I heard them. They're all right. How many did you bring with you? And we can go through all of our wonderful programs, but he's still going to come back to that one question for which he gave his life. How many did you bring with you? And if our answer is, well, we made it, I made it, well, then that's not enough because there's a whole bunch that didn't. So that burns in my soul. And I know that uh, in you know 30 years or so, m- many of us are going to be in heaven 
And so we, we don't have that much time left. We have all of eternity to revel in and boast in and get excited about all the victories that were won. But we only have a few hours left in which to win them. And if we put that off and procrastinate, what in the world are we going to talk about for the rest of eternity? A nicely painted church and a choir that sang well? No, no, no. It has to be the hundreds of thousands of souls that are there for an eternity because we cared for the lost. Now, I love your preaching style. You know, you're very funny. Uh, I've uh, stolen a lot of your jokes over the years and a lot of your stories. Uh, I just want to ask you to just retell a few of my favorite stories. Is that all right? You know, we've just got to share these with people. Uh, so just one of them that came to mind that relates to this was uh, the time you were watching Oprah and she, was, she had some bodybuilders on there. <laughs> I heard this at the Doing Church as a Team conference. And, you know, we, we're so built up, but we've got to do something about it. So tell, tell us that story. I love this one. Well, it wasn't Oprah. It was actually another guy. Oh, and, but, uh, but he had these four bodybuilders sitting on these stools. And, you know, they wear these Speedos. And, and uh, I, I tell people, it's like the bigger they are built, the smaller their heads get. It's like their heads shrink. But they were massive in bodybuilding and uh, and the muscles. And the interviewer said, I mean, you guys are, are phenomenal. We just saw you in this exhibition. But during the week, what do you use all these muscles for? Because you've built them so much. I mean, do you like move trains from track to track or refrigerators from house to house? What do you use these muscles for? And the first guy got up and said, for this. And he flexed his bicep in the camera lens, you know, for this. And he just flexed it. And it was Merv Griffin. And he said, no, 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 read my lips. Uh, what do you use these muscles for? The second guy stood up, stuck his back towards the camera and said, for this. And his latissima dorsi muscles just bulged, you know, and quivered. And he sat down and he said, no, 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 what do you use them for? And the third guy said, for this. And he put his thigh towards the camera and flexed that. And by this time, I am rolling with laughter. I'm on the bed holding my stomach. And I said, God, that's the church. That's the Christian church. It's kind of like God gives us so much. So much teaching and inspiration and encouragement and knowledge and anointing. And it's like God says, now what are you going to use all of this for? You've been, you've listened to 500, a thousand sermons in your lifetime. Now what are you going to use it for? And we say, you know, for this. And we gruff out, hallelujah. And we raise our hand with great righteousness. And the Lord says, no, no, no. What are you using that for? And we say, for this. And we stand up, hallelujah. And we sit back down. And it's like the Lord must be holding his, his stomach in laughter saying, no, what do you use it for? And if you think about it, there's a lot of Christians that have gone through 500 sermons, tons of camps, tons of seminars. And what are we using all of that for? Another Sunday service and say hallelujah and then go home. God has invested so much. It's time for the bride of Christ to rise again and bring glory to the Father. You know, there might be people listening and thinking, you know what? This guy's got so many great stories. He's full of life. He's got an amazing story about how he came to Christ. And there might be people that haven't made that decision to have a relationship with Jesus would you speak to those listeners now about how they could make that connection and, and become a Christian? Yeah, it's, you know, the first thing is when God ignites a little thing in your heart that you say, you know, I don't understand everything there is to understand, but I know something resonates inside of me. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, the Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of every man, not just some, not just Christians, 
every man so that when God speaks a word that is an eternal truth, it resounds, it resonates in the human heart. And if God is touching your heart in any way and it resonates with truth, give into it. The best thing you can do and the greatest victory you'll ever win is when you give in to truth. Don't resist it. Don't stumble on it. Don't try to figure it out. Give in to that and let truth overwhelm you. And the Bible says in John 8, it, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Call on his name and you'll be surprised what he's about to do. Well, Mike, I reckon your history, Micah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. It's a joy being with you. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. And also, you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week.